0: We're in the book of John, exploring how Jesus is light in our darkness. And today's passage specifically really profoundly highlights that in the life of a blind man. Taking a moment here as we kind of prep for this. By the way, we're going to be in John chapter 9. If you have a Bible or Bible app, want to follow along, go to John chapter 9. We also have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. John chapter 9. Have you ever had this experience of being blinded by pride? Those of you who are nodding or laughing, like, you realize, like, we all have been there at some level, right? Blinded by pride. We're so convinced that we're right and that others are wrong. Or in the wrong. They have a problem. We're so convinced. And, 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 and later, if we're fortunate, we, we come to that realization that we didn't have all the information. Or our perception was dis- distorted. That we were too quick to come to a conclusion. Or that we hadn't looked Inward first. And, 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 and have you had that experience where you realize I'm blinded by pride? Maybe, I want to invite you, maybe, maybe you have been living in such a way that you are blinded. Pray today that if you are blinded by pride that you might see. That Jesus might open your eyes. Let's pray, Holy Spirit. We need you to work in us. We want to hear from your word. We want to be changed by you, Jesus, as you came to do the works of the Father. Do that. Do that work in us. We we want to open our hearts. And if we are proud, Lord, in any ways, your word is very clear. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Oh, Father. Help us to acknowledge our blindness. Help us to, ironically, see our blindness. Lord, that we might receive sight from you today. Spirit, come on me, your servant, to communicate your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's jump right in here. We're going to walk through this story, so I'm going to take it one, you know, a piece at a time, if you will, here as we walk through. So we're going to do the entire chapter of John 9. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. We come up on this scene here. Jesus and his disciples encounter this man. It was, it was known that he was born blind and, and there's this, this question that comes up from the disciples. It might be a little bit of a shock from us, but, but it actually is still quite a relevant question that in, in many respects gets asked today. The, the disciples turn to Jesus and ask him, who sinned? There's a cause and effect here. This man's blind, and it must have, he is blind because, because somebody sinned, right? It's the assumption. If you do bad things, you get bad things. Kind of believe that in this life. Whose sinned? This man or his parents? Well, he was born blind. How he sinned. Not quite sure about that. Do the logic. There is beliefs, were beliefs present at that time, though, of the soul pre-existing before a, a person came into existence and that maybe in that pre-existent soul of that person that they may have sinned. There were some concepts along those lines that tap into that. But there's this black and white causal thinking. Bad thing happened to this guy. It must be because he or somebody did bad things. In the Old Testament, there are cases and there is statements of, of, of sins being revisited from generation to generation. There's consequences that do get passed down in generations from our sin. That, that it should weigh on us and, and cause us to pause and be aware as parents. Our choices don't just affect us, they affect our children, but not just our children, our children's children. But, but to still say that it was caused, this blindness was caused, Jesus corrects them and jumps in and says, it's not that this man sinned or his parents. This is faulty thinking. We're, we're more inclined, because of assumptions that we have in this life, to make some really dangerous and powerful conclusions that bad things happen because I did bad things or because I do good things, I deserve to get good things, right? That's how it works. We're more inclined to believe in, in what kind of Eastern religion calls karma than we are to believe in grace in reality what, what what we what we have to realize is that we 're not good that this world isn't good it's far more complicated than this black and white if you do bad, you get bad, if you do good, you should get good. far more complicated than that, far more nuanced than that because what 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 is true while this man didn't sin as Jesus explains while his parents didn't sin there is sin in this world you notice around us as we look we have disease we're in this still working through this pandemic thing we have disease we have cancer we have we have all kinds of different different uh, illnesses that exist in the world I have natural disasters we have injustices we can't we, we, we don 't see systems of government and people groups together where, where there 's equality and, 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 and everybody 's needs are taken care of and, and there 's there's no different treatment based on on ethnicity language culture socioeconomic status what side of the tracks you grew up on. there 's that, that, that injustice is... Pre- Why? Because sin is in the world. Death exists because sin is in the world. Our world is broken. We are broken. If we don't get the fundamentals right, this is called presuppositions. These are, these are conclusions we have before we draw other conclusions. This is a filter through which we see life and make conclusions. If we don't understand. Reality is this is a broken world. It's infected with sin, as are we. We don't deserve anything good. Okay, I just dropped a little bit of a bomb there. Catch up with me. This is important. We don't deserve to expect Anything good? You see, our problem comes in this world of thinking. Step back here. Oftentimes, what's our what's many of our our responses in tragedy and suffering and difficulty? Why, right? We ask that question. Why? I'm not I don't want to minimize because it gets into grief and grief is so important. That question is an important question to ask. But well, part of that question comes from this place that we expect it shouldn't. Bad things shouldn't happen to us in this life. Bad things shouldn't happen to good people. That comes from a wrong assumption. This world is so broken. That's reality. That's why evil people prosper. Well, that's why people who are corrupt and are living in wickedness—they still experience good. They experience good things. How does that happen if God is good? Because this world is broken. We are broken. If we don't get this right, our expectations will be faulty, and therefore our interventions will be off as well, and cause more of the problem. And be part of God's solution. If we get this important foundational fact truth down, then we can move forward. The things that, the the good things that happen in this life to all people rain that, that provides crops to grow, a healthy economy that causes all to, to elevate their socioeconomic status, causes all to... These are what we call common grace. God is holding this world together. This world is not as bad as it could be because God is holding this world together. God in his grace is working. God shows his grace and his mercy in a variety of ways of being in and amidst bad things in order to say, hey, hey, I am here. There's more. There is a goodness at work and going on. It's not just evil. Common grace that that, that, that when we get that we don't deserve anything good, then we can see anything good Is a gift and I don't deserve it. I can what do we do when we get gifts and we know we don't deserve them We give thanks and we worship Our hearts are changed, but when we're entitled When we have that sense of entitlement and we don't get what we want, what do we do? We gripe and complain we fall into to darkness and depression. We get into self-pity. And we get into blame and entitlement and anger and bitterness. And we got to self-medicate with it. right? I'm making a long point here because there's some incredibly important thinking here that we've got to confront. Jesus explains. He busts open this thinking that was prevalent among Jewish people. It's prevalent everywhere in the world. It wasn't that this man sinned. It wasn't that his parents sinned. But that this would be an opportunity for God to display his works. And Jesus isn't saying God caused this so that later he would show himself. God did, This is not what the scripture is saying. God didn't cause the blindness either. That's part of the sin in this world. People can be born blind. People can be born with Down syndrome. People can be born with with mental illness, with bipolar disorder. People can be born with various diseases. That's part of brokenness and sin in this world. Jesus didn't, God didn't cause that, but this is an opportunity for God to display his works. Maybe you've been shamed by others in your life or just this sense of culture that the bad things that are going on, I must have done something wrong. Maybe you've received that question yourself. What What did you do wrong? You, 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 you feel especially bad that the consequences, the, the rough things, the suffering, the difficulties in your life are happening because you must have done something wrong. That's shame. Now, there are consequences for our choices. It's not to, to eliminate that. But just because bad things happen don't, does not mean because you've done something wrong. And somebody here needs to hear and be reminded that, 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 that just because bad things are happening doesn't mean you are a bad person. God doesn't love you. In fact, God, just like this blind man, he didn't see God, right? He's blind. He didn't see Jesus. Jesus saw him. And you need to hear, Jesus sees you in whatever that darkness is. And there's not shame Because you're in that darkness. Because you did not bring it on yourself. And even if you are experiencing the consequences of your own sin, he still steps towards you. He does not bring shame. That is not what Jesus does. He does not bring shame and reject you. He steps towards you. Even if you're in the midst of sin right now. All right, sermon number two. Here we go. Hallelujah. There's work to be done, Jesus says. This is an opportunity for me to work. So he tells him, go to the pool, wash. He gets mud on his hands. Why, why does he do mud, put it on his eyes, and then have him wash? Why does he do this? We don't, we don't fully appreciate or understand, but, but we do need to realize like God uses visceral things and sensory types of things and things that don't quite make sin. In the Old Testament, Elisha tells the dude to go and wash in the Jordan and he's like, why do I have to go wash? Like, that's dirty water. That ain't gonna make me clean. God tells us to do some interesting things. Maybe it's take ibuprofen. Maybe it's go to the doctor. Okay? But this man... Couldn't heal himself, but he had to receive something from God, from Jesus. This blindness he couldn't remove himself. But this, this manifestation of this mud, we, we, we think, you think of the think of think of baptism. Wash. Wash. So he washes and his sight is restored. Now let's keep going here. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said it is he. Others said, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. And so they brought him to the Pharisees. That's, that's the spiritual leaders, like a, pastors, if you will. The man who had for, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And So the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on his eyes, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man... Who is a sinner, do such signs. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes. He said, He's a prophet. We see in these, just in these two paragraphs here, we see his neighbors confused and they're trying to make sense of this. This is crazy. A man born blind and now he has sight, they all saw him begging on the on the road. They've seen this over and over, like they're wrapping their minds, they can't be this guy. Imagine the shock, you know, that you're trying to make sense of you know, when you hear today about miracles, isn't there a little bit of skepticism, right? Like, no, that didn't happen. And some of it's fabricated, right? When you ask for evidence and they're like, Well, why should you ask for evidence? Where's that person who's healed? Ah, just trust in my word. Oh, there should be evidence. There's reasons for skepticism, right? They want evidence, so they take him before the the spiritual leaders to examine the man more fully to, to verify: is this this really happening? Is this from God? And 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 some of the leaders they're, they're missing the point. They see it's on Sunday, if you will. It was Saturday, but it's equivalent to our day of rest, and no work should be done. And Jesus heals the guy. I'm like, oh, he made some mud. He did some work. He must be a sinner judge him how absurd is that while others get it like there's no way that this that this miracle could happen unless it was from someone god's sin so they turn to the man they're like we're confused you must be the expert you imagine the poor guy he's just like i'm blind i was blind and i see this is amazing this is so great they're looking to him so what it what, what do you think and say he's a, he says he's a prophet. You know, he has no categories. What clearly, here, this man is not saved. Okay? Just because Jesus opened his eyes doesn't mean he's saved. He's not saved yet. This is part of that common grace thing we talked about. God does good things in and throughout the lives of people that are all around us. And it's not until many times when, we, when we're saved that we realize, wow, God was doing so much stuff in my life and I didn't even know it. This guy's not saved yet, he's a prophet. Is obviously from God. So the story continues here. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age? He can speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age? Ask him. The parents, they're, on one respect, they're smart, right? They know what game is being played here. And so they just kick it back to the man. You can see the building kind of blindness on the part of the Jews and the leaders at this point, right? Tell us. And they refuse refuse to see. They refuse to see what's going on here. And this this becomes even more apparent here. Verses 24 through 34. So for the second time, they called the man who was blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, the blind man here talking, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you. You would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Get a little snarky here, a little testy. They reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The blind man, the former blind man, answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard of that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him. You were born in utter sin. And you would teach us, and they cast him out. We see the Pharisees here, their blindness exposed before us. He's a sinner. Jesus must be a sinner. He must have done something wrong or bad. He he healed on the Sabbath. There's all many other passages in Scripture where Jesus explains the significance of of healing on the Sabbath. It's doing good on the Sabbath. Why that's not an issue. That they're missing the point. Those who are blind in pride, we see here, blinded by their own pride, are quick to judge others. They're quick to point out the wrongs of others. They're quick to look down on others. They're quick to say, look at their sin, look at somebody's sin. They're quick. They're not quick to confess their own. They're not quick to recognize, you know what, maybe I don't know everything that's going on here. They're not quick and humble to acknowledge that maybe God is doing something more than I expected here. But they know it all. And so these teachers, all of a sudden now, become the students, right? This man explains... How is it possible that such a miracle could be done by anybody, especially a sinner? We own, we, these are things we know, we know that you've taught us. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. You taught us that. And now you're going you're gonna to go back on that? And here's the bomb, the mic drop. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now these men, their pride is such, you know how it is when we're proud and somebody's teaching to us and they expose when we're wrong. You know how it is, right? We get defensive. We get big. we We start throwing names, right? You were born in sin. Whoa, we're now full circle. Is this man born in sin or did he sin or his parents? We're full circle now. The irony, you were born in utter sin. This man whose eyes were open, who now sees. In comparison to these men here who claim to, be see, claim to see, are far more blind than this man ever was. They don't recognize how we are dead in our sin. We're all broken in our sin. They were born in utter sin. We all are born in utter sin. His blindness isn't any indication of that. Or his former blindness. Isn't that how we we respond in our pride? We get defensive. We start attacking character. We start calling names. We demonize. We talked about this a little bit last week. These men are blind, though they claim they see. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast this man out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him. Isn't that amazing? You have seen him, and it is he Who is speaking to you? He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus explains, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? I mean, the very fact they're answering the question is, is enough affirmation? Oh, yes. Very blind. Yes. Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. What Jesus shows here, his works. That he he mentioned to his disciples, "Hey, we got work to do while I'm here. We've got work to do. This work is to give sight to the blind and to show the blindness of those who claim they see." In this passage, there's this conclusion here. We see the conversion of the man who was born blind, we see his conversion where he trusts Jesus. Who is this son of man? He sees it's Jesus and he gets down and he worships him because when you encounter Jesus, that's all you can do. It's not a soccer game. It's Jesus. It's okay to get excited. We got some work to do. worships we see the conversion of the man who was blind and we see the condemnation of those who claim they see this is a this is a theme throughout all of 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 scripture this is the problem god repeatedly says he opposes the proud not because he sets himself against the crowd those who are proud in heart because when we are proud we set ourselves against god we say get off that throne I know better, I am better, I don't need you. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives sight to the blind. John thirty nine thirty nine is the point here. For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those who are blind, I'm going to the next side of the here, Charlie. Those who are blind receive sight. Those the blind who receive sight are those who are humble and recognize their need for Christ. Those of us who recognize I am broken, Jesus, and I am in in need of healing. It doesn't mean my life is falling apart. That doesn't mean that, 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 that that it's so dark I can't see my next steps and I have no hope in life. No, it's recognizing I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I have a brokenness inside me. Things may be going great in my life. I may have more than I need, and things may be going fantastic. I'm broken, though. I need you, Jesus. The humble, those who are blind that Jesus sets free, are those who say, "I'm in need of forgiveness, Jesus. I'm in need of forgiveness. I'm dirty. I sin. I've broken." Your law, I need you, Jesus. I need your forgiveness, and like as our Anuak sisters sang for us earlier about, "Thank you, God, for forgiveness." The blind recognize, "I don't know it all. I don't have all the information." There's a pause, and there's a humbleness in our heart. I need to be taught. I'm hungry to learn. I'm quick to listen not quick to judge I'm not better than others I don't know everything that's going on in their life I don't even know I don't even understand all that's in here I need you Jesus to teach me I'm blind help me see Jesus I'm blind help me see The irony is those who are blind know they're blind and they need Jesus to see. And they regularly, we regularly seek him. Give me sight. And the blind also are that humble. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything, Jesus. I know I deserve hell for my sin. Thank you for all that you do and you give me. In contrast, the proud. Those who, who claim they see, those who are blinded by, by pride, or those who are arrogant before Christ, they judge others, but are blind to their own sin. We're, we're, we're quick to draw conclusions. Oh, the, this and this is going on in their life. We, we may see behavior patterns. We, we may say, oh, the, they're, they're living together. Okay, we, that, yeah, there's sin there. But we're quick to look down on them, rather than come to them, rather than love them and pray for them and embrace them. We, we may see others in sin, or, or, or we'll, we'll be quick to judge some, some kind of prejudice in our hearts. We don't quickly look inside and see our own sinfulness. We may even classify. You know, we're we're caught up in this polarization, friends. If we're we're part part of the polarizing culture, not we're not part of of of, the un, of a uniting work of Jesus Christ. We're just part of the problem. We're saying, oh, they're liberal, and we're starting to when we start throwing labels. That's judging. They're woke. Well, that's woke. Or or, or, or if we're, we're 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 saying, you know, they're 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 Republican. Like we're calling somebody a prostitute. When we're throwing out labels, we're judging. I've been looking inside for saying, I'm broken. You see the arrogant, see that they have a right to reject and separate. But if, if you've received Jesus, you see he stepped towards you in your blindness, and you'll step towards others in their blindness. You're changed. We're changed. We're a different kind of people. The arrogant, they dictate to God who and how he should be. In terms of our expectations in life and how God should act and how how life is supposed to be, as we've talked about, it's a fundamentally wrong filter through which we think through life. Wrong expectations. We're not entitled to anything. Rather than humbling... Receiving and Lord, work in my brokenness. Lord, this suffering—I don't like it. This loss, this 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 tragedy. Lord, help me meet you in this. Rather than saying I deserve better, they are experts who cannot be taught. When I, early on in my career, um it was a scenario where there was uh, 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 some conflict with, with a couple individuals in the church and, and um, it, it required some mediation uh, involved with somebody outside. And, and in that process, my, my heart had started to grow bitter. And I, and, and I got caught up in that conflict of that kind of competition, that pride, like that, that, that I was in the right, they were in the wrong, we were in the right in terms of the leadership. They're in the wrong or whatever. And, and, in, and in communication with that mediator, I, I, I got in my head or heard in my head that they wanted to bring this conflict before the congregation in a public way. And I was like, "That's so wrong! They're not following Scripture. They're they're, they're going to this is going to be so divisive. This is absolutely wrong." And so uh, I, I went and told the other leaders and 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 shared how wrong this was and that this was going to happen. And 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 because and, I I was convinced, I heard right and this was right and we are right and these people are wrong. Sat down with them in in, in a face to face, as Jesus tells us to, and walking through and talking through, and accused them of these things. Come to find out as they press back, like you know you need to go back to the mediator, and you need to re- talk through this because that is that is not our plans. In fact, that was the suggestion of the mediator, not ours. We said no, that would not be healthy, that would not be godly, but I was convinced I knew I was right. I went back and talked to that mediator and found out. I was rrr was a rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> I was wrong I hadn't just misheard if I'm being honest I heard what I wanted to hear Do you know that? Do you get that in that pride? In this instance my heart was blinded by my pride Convinced we were right, I was convinced they were wrong. I was convinced that that we were that, that, that that's the work of Satan. And when we create these polarizations, and and rather than than seeing them as an enemy, rather than seeing them as a family, and going back to our the board members and confessing my sin and the slander as a result, because misrepresenting them. And, and, and seeking forgiveness to the board members and going back to the individuals and, and explaining I was wrong and confessing my sin and asking for forgiveness and, and for repentance and, and, and letting the, them know that I went back and I told the other members, the leaders and corrected things but there was still damage done There's consequences that I still had to bear in that I was blinded by my pride When we, don't, when we don't keep our hearts soft before Jesus, when we don't just continue to stay at the throne of the cross, at, at, before the cross, at the throne of Jesus, I'm like, I am blind. I need you. I am blind. I need you. I can't see. I don't have it all. Conflict is especially a time because we're easy and prone to pride in that, right? I'm blind, Jesus. I'm I can't see. I don't have all the information. I need to be taught. I need to grow. Friends, how have you been proud? How have you been blinded by your own pride? Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus wants to help you see. And if that involves doing what I had to do confession and acknowledging your sin and and repentance and, 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 and taking ownership of the consequences of my heart and my actions, it's worth it. Come out of that darkness. Friends, if you see, then join in today with that blind man and let's worship. he's worthy and he meets our needs and his love never fails and it never ends. And he's so good. He is what we need. We're going long and I'm going to go take it longer here. All right, bear with me. Hang in there. I got my African shirt on, so it's okay. The Lord put this on my heart and I think we need to address this. This happened this morning after I put together everything. There's another form of arrogance that we need to get real with as Christians in America in this time, in the century, in this day and time. It's another form, of, this arrogance is apathy. This arrogance is apathy. That, 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 that this faith thing, Jesus thing, my relationship with him, this, this thing of being a part of the church, not the building, the people, the family of God, this thing, it's, it's a good thing. The greatest, the greatest lie that Satan can say to us is to reduce the work of Jesus, our relationship with Jesus, from the ultimate thing, from an urgent thing, to a good thing. It's all right. It's just it's one of many good things. Apathy. My children, their discipleship, them knowing Jesus, them growing in Jesus, my own heart, my marriage, it's need for Jesus. It's no big deal. It's, it's, it's no big deal. That's good stuff. And we just coast through and we wonder why are our children and grandchildren leaving the faith? They were never part of it because we didn't disciple them. Because we were apathetic because it's a good thing. It's not the thing. Our marriage is falling apart. Our relationships are crumbling. My health is crumbling because I'm not taking care of myself because we're not taking care of our home because it's just another good thing. Friends, we're aching in this time of COVID. I apologize for my passion. I don't intend shame, but I want you to hear this. Our apathy is killing us. It's killing us. Jesus isn't just a good thing. Our brokenness isn't just a bad thing. It's a hell kind of thing. Our neighbor's brokenness isn't just a bad thing. It's eternity. In hell, friends, is it arrogance. It's arrogant for us to suggest, Jesus, you're good. You're a good thing. You're a good man. You're a good God. But that's it. Oh, guys, let our hearts be broken. Let us worship. Let our lives reflect that he is ultimate. We need him. We need him in our home. We need him in our individual hearts. We need him in our marriages. We need him with, a, with our kids. The greatest thing our kids need is Jesus. Ah, I'm afraid that my yelling and screaming is going to bring shame here. He wants you to hear. He wants your eyes to be open. And he wants your, your home to be alive. He wants your home To be alive, he wants your hearts to be alive. He wants your children to be alive. He wants generations. He wants to see the light spread. He wants people set free. Let our eyes be open. Let our eyes be open today. Amen. He's not just good; he's God. Have the worship team come on forward. I need somebody to tell the nursery workers. We're coming to, it's coming. It's coming. Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus. I need you. So. Oh, Jesus. There's so many ways, oh God, that I just, I'm so guilty. I'm so guilty, Jesus, of making you just another thing, of the arrogance, Lord God. Just going through my routine as a pastor, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we need you. I need you. Lord, we need you. Jesus, open our eyes that our need for you isn't a bad thing, it's freedom. Jesus, pray for a revolution in our hearts. I pray for a revolution in our homes because Satan is going to attack. He's going to attack, he's going to steal. Through busyness, through good things. Oh Lord, that is just tiredness and fatigue. Father, God, we pray that you work in our spirit to make you the ultimate thing, that you, oh God, Jesus, you are God. Hey, let us worship. Let us worship, we need you. Let us not be proud. Melt our hearts before you, oh God. You are so good. In your name, amen.